This January, over 750 OA members gathered in Los Angeles for OA's 50th birthday party. Events included keynote speakers, multiple long-timer panels, workshops, a big book boot camp, and even an appearance by Roseanne S. If you'd like CDs or MP3s of any or all of these sessions, go to oa50th.org and then follow the link to the recordings. That's oa50th, oa50th.org. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Angela. I'm Angela, um, one day at a time recovering from anorexia, bulimia, and compulsive overeating. And so, yeah, I have part of my bargain. I made this bargain with God, and I was like, I'll show up if you talk. So from here on out, it's my higher power, I hope. I just want to start by saying that if I give off the impression that I do any part, and I do mean any part of this program perfectly, that is absolutely 100% not true. The only thing that I have done perfectly since coming to program a little over four and a half years ago is uh, I keep coming back. So that's it. Everything else, messy, messy, messy. Glad we have some newcomers here. Welcome. The funny thing is, I was talking to my sponsor like I do every Friday morning, and I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. It's like 30 minutes. So she gave me some um, reflecting to do and um, some questions. And I ended up writing four college-ruled lined pages about what always done for me. I'm not going to read that. Don't worry. Um, because, again, that would be my will. And um, I want to give my higher power an opportunity to say what needs to be said. So, okay, what it was like. Let's see. I'll give you a little bit about, about my background. I came from an alcoholic home. My parents lit up. My dad left when I was... I want to say around seven or eight, somewhere around there. So there was already ism in my home. I have an older an older sibling and a younger sibling, so I'm the middle child. You know, it's funny, my mom always jokes about how when even as a baby, like she, this is like bragging for her. She's like, you were always such a good eater, you know? And um, she loves to tell this story where I think I was like two or three years old. I would like, you'd see this hand just come up. And I would be, like, hiding, I guess, under the table, and I would just take your broccoli off of your plate or whatever it was. And they thought that was hysterical. And, you know, I don't know if I was born a compulsive overeater or if I was just a normal kid. Um, And it manifested into something different. And quite honestly, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the way I work my program today. So part of my story also is that I was a ballerina from a young age. And so I spent a lot of time being very aware of women's bodies, you know, in mirrors. You know, there's a lot of disordered eating amongst that group but you know I was really too young to notice at that point but I was very attuned to my body that's for sure you know like so many of us I hit puberty and my my body changed like I was always a really skinny kid like it didn't matter that I could put down a whole lot of food because it, it didn't show up on me and then when I went through puberty my body changed and I was not prepared for that emotionally mentally physically you know also with that it's like your hormones start raging and and you start changing schools and boys and and popularity and all that stuff 
And also, you know, for me, it's like coming from a home where it was not always peaceful and serene, you know, a single-parent home most of the time as well. It's like I just um, I started to use food early on. I just wanted to numb the pain. And also, it's like I just couldn't deal with reality. I just couldn't deal with life on life's terms. I, I needed something. I was huge into fantasy as a kid. I still definitely do that. Like, you know, I want to check out. I'm an addict. I want to check out. So food was the easy go-to solution for me. You know, as I got older, I always wanted to look good on the outside, and I did a really good job of that as well. Like, I think part of that is the magical thinking. Like, if I just keep my world, like, really, really safe and keep up appearances, then everything will be okay. You know, made the good grades and was popular and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And it still didn't change the fact on the inside. I felt like a complete stranger. I felt like nobody got me. I was always, I was, I would do anything that you wanted, you know, just to get you to like me. I just needed constant approval and validation from others. And that is something that I, that I still struggle with today, not nearly to the same degree. But my experience with food and weight gain and loss has just been, you know, the roller coaster, the up and the down and the up and the down. You know, I am petite and I'm short and a little bit of weight goes a long way on me and I have fluctuated between sizes like 2 and 12, 14. So that's just kind of where my body's been. You know, it particularly started in high school. After my freshman year of high school, I just felt so inadequate because suddenly I was a um, a little fish in a big pond. And um, that was really, really uncomfortable for me. And so, you know, I used food because I was uncomfortable and I don't do well being uncomfortable. And I use food in multiple ways. You know, when I identify as an anorexic, I, I've never received that clinical diagnosis, nor have I been hospitalized. I identify more with the with the mental aspect of it. Although, don't get me wrong, I am absolutely um, a restrictor. And I want an unhealthy body weight for me. I mean, that's just the reality of it. That's not always. That's not today. But I would rather be smaller than is probably healthy for me. That's just a fact. So, yeah, I definitely started out with my weight started ballooning. And part of my story is um, I, I was diagnosed with severe depression in high school, like my sophomore year, and it was necessary for me to go on medication. That's just part of my journey. And I thought, oh, my God, this is great, because, like, it lifted, and then it suddenly I didn't need the food, and I lost weight, and I was like, that's it, I found it, it's great. But I can, I'm here to tell you that is not the solution, at least it wasn't for me, because it wasn't sustaining. The feelings, the, the discomfort, it just comes back. Um, you know, the medication doesn't make that go away. So that's where, you know, just these fluctuations. And again, with the, just the rigidity, the black and white thinking, like, you know, if I have one thing off my food plan that I say I'm going to have, if I have more, you know, and knowing the caloric intake of everything and, and all that BS that we do, that just dominated my my life. And I could keep it up for a pretty good length of time, too, um, for at least a year and doing the exercise every single day and, you know, wearing down the cartilage in my knees, like, you know, stuff like that. It's just, it's the insanity. And then with the bulimia, that did not start until... Um, until much later, but I would exercise, I would use that as, as a form, and also, um, you know, I, I dabbled in, well, I didn't dabble, I started using laxatives as well. Um, 
you know, diet pills as well. The insanity of, like, taking these pills and it makes my heart race, like, knowing physically that it, that something is really wrong, but it was so hard for me to give those things up because, again, my, my whole self-worth, my self-esteem was tied, was tied to my weight and my, and my, uh, my body. So, um, yeah, the binging. Like, when it comes down to it, I like food, and it's never enough. It's never enough. So we've got an addiction that we have to eat, our drug of choice, (laughs) you know, multiple times a day in order to sustain life. Yeah, that's that's been tricky. Um, In regards to to the compulsive overeating, like, just to kind of, for me also to backtrack and what it was like for the newcomer, you know, there's no delaying my gratification at all. Not even for a second. Like, I had the thought, it's already in my mouth. I didn't even know how it happened. You know, I couldn't hit the pause button. I didn't even know that was an option. Like, I have this head screaming at me, telling me that you have to do this. And and for me, I absolutely believe, like it says in the book, this disease is centered in our mind. Absolutely. I know that to be true for me. You know, I'm more of a quantity binger. I can certainly graze, but I really like to stuff it, you know, and just, like, get so full that you can't move and you just have to, like, roll over and pass out, and it's so uncomfortable and it sells hatred, the incomprehensible demoralization, right? We all know it. And, um, you know, that waking up the next day and saying it's going to be different or I'm going to start it tomorrow, I'm going to do it better tomorrow, and it never came. That day never came until, you know, I came into these rooms. But on my own, left to my own devices, no, nothing. The the secrecy, the isolation, especially when you have roommates. It's like, okay, well, how can I hide this? Okay, where are they going? And then they'll be gone. How long will it take? And okay. And then eating their food. And then, okay, so I need to buy it. And then I need to eat it down to where it was when I started eating it so they won't know and they won't suspect. Um, those kinds of insane behaviors. Eating food that doesn't, it stops tasting good. It doesn't even taste good. I mean, if that's not insanity, what is? Eating foods that would burn the roof of my mouth because I couldn't even wait the 60 seconds for it to cool off. Eating ice cream that was like freezer burn and disgusting. I'm seeing, I'm seeing acknowledgement. So I know that you guys, I know that you guys relate and you do it too. And, um, you know, and then going to the multiple grocery stores to get my binge foods because I don't even want a cashier to know what I'm doing and lying and being like, oh, do you think there's enough food for like eight people? And, um, you know, and really, who cares? Even if they are judging me, who cares? That, I'm so self, you know, that's the self-centeredness of, of this disease. And then the sad thing is, it's like I couldn't even wait. I would go to convenient places, don't get me wrong. I couldn't even wait the five minutes it took to get home. I was already in the back seat, like, driving and, and, you know, shoving it in my mouth as fast as I could. So I qualify to be here, you know. I, I qualify. I've earned my seat. Yeah, what happened? I'll backtrack a little bit. So I also like to pull a geographic, just so you know, because I, I think that that's going to be another fix. I went to college, like, out of state where I didn't know anybody because I'm like, I'm going to reinvent myself. And I did, and it was great for a little while. And then inevitably, wherever I go, I take me with me. So there was that. And then I was like, I'm going to study abroad. And I went not knowing a single person to a foreign country where I hardly spoke the language. Yeah, that didn't last long at all. And I had a great time, and and I loved that experience. But I spent a lot of time eating and, and drinking and just... 
Oh, so yeah. And and then I was like, okay, well, where else can I go? Hmm, I'll move to California because I'm from a, a southern red state, and I, I moved out here to California. You know what? That didn't fix it either because it actually just got worse because I believe, and well, from my own experience, this is a progressive disease. Like the restricting always got worse. The binges always got worse. The um, bulimia, you know, I did not start out throwing up. I never thought in a thousand years that I would stick my finger down my throat. I mean, I can tell you that before I started engaging in, in that behavior, I'd thrown up maybe four times in my entire life, you know, by the age of, what, 25 or something like that. My body doesn't like it, okay? But I'm here to tell you that if you work at it long enough, you can achieve results. So the other thing is, another fix that I tried that didn't work, um, therapy. Love it, still using it, great outside support for me. Um, nonetheless, I started vomiting in therapy, and I didn't tell my therapist. Uh, it was just another thing that I lied about because I was so ashamed, so ashamed. I'm like, I couldn't believe that I, I went there. And, you know, the whole thing with self-knowledge avails us nothing. Now, I think that's a little extreme for me because I do think there's a, a balance there, but left to my own devices, I was a health and sports science major in college. Like, I took nutrition classes. I could have been a personal trainer. Like, that wasn't the issue, okay? I know how to do the diet. I don't know how to stop. And that's not something that I could, I can get anywhere else but in these rooms. It's just the only solution that I've found. So, okay, um, I was house-sitting, and I had the biggest binge, well, multiple, biggest binges that I've had to date, and I threw up more than I had ever thrown up. Again, when I started with the vomiting, it was like I did it once, and then I did it a year later, and then it was six months later, and then it was like once a month. And, you know, I, I never got to be the extreme, like, ten times a day because I, I came in here before then. Otherwise, I believe that I could certainly go down that path. It, it, it's just, This is a progressive disease. So I had gotten to the point where I just I hit my bottom. I ate this woman's cabinets. I was so ashamed. I just kept throwing up and passing out, and I just wanted to die. Like, I didn't have the courage to take my own life, necessarily. I just wanted the pain to stop. I just wanted to not wake up anymore, and the pain would stop. You know, my therapist had told me a year ago or something about OA, and I was like, Shh. I had so many judgments about what I would find here and all of that sort of thing. I was like, no, that's, that's not for me. I don't belong in those rooms. And you know what? After after that weekend house-sitting, I, I became willing. I was that desperate. I had the gift of desperation. So I went to my first meeting, and ironically enough, it happened to be a uh, an AB meeting, and it was women. And they looked like you guys. I mean, they were all shapes and sizes, but mostly it was, a, it was a, you know, a lot of healthy-looking women. And all ages. Like, they were women, you know, my age, young. I came in at, at 28 in... Um, in 05. I have to say that I did not want any part of it. <laughs> I, I was so, like, angry. And because my will has served me. I'm a disciplined person. And my will had really served me up until this point with, with so many other things. And I just couldn't figure it out. And hearing you guys talk, it's like, I was like, no, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to do this on my own. So... I went to my first meeting, and then I left without talking to anybody. And then I hit a bottom below the, the previous bottom. So I came crawling back in, really bloodied and beaten. And, and at that point, 
I was like, all right, I can't do it anymore. And I started opening my ears. And, it, and the seed was planted the first time, but I was just so in my head about it. I, I really couldn't take a lot in. But definitely the second time I heard what you guys were saying. I mean, you guys were talking. I really thought, I really and truly believed I was losing my mind. I really did. I thought I was insane. I thought I was crazy. I didn't think anybody in the world, you know, would think and, and do the things that I did. And when I heard you guys talking about it and laughing and smiling and, you know, you didn't look like what I expected at all. So I started to, to listen, and I started to really hear. And, you know, I heard about God, and that was a major turnoff for me. I'll talk much more about my higher power, but um, I grew up with a, uh, well, I grew up Catholic, and I grew up with a God that was incredibly judgmental and um, conditional. The love was conditional. Like, okay, if you do this, this, and this, then you get, then you, then you can get into heaven. Then you can get my love. Then you're worthy. So that is something that I was very turned off by. But then I heard you guys say, like, you know what? Because you can have any God you want and just, just act as if. Just, just borrow the higher power in the world. And that's pretty much what I started doing. Even today, all I need to know about my higher power is it's not me. Really. That's all I need to know. And for me, my higher power is not a concept anymore. It's entirely experiential. It is very personal to me. It is that intuition, the, the small, quiet voice that will tell me what to do in a situation or will plant a really healthy thought in my head that I am not capable of. Again, my own best thinking got me here. So I know when it's my thinking and then when, like, divine inspiration and grace comes to me. So how did I get abstinent and how do I have four years today? Even when I say that, it blows my mind. Because really, it, I couldn't even get, I couldn't even imagine four hours, let alone four days when I, when I came in. For me, I had to build a really strong foundation. Like, I became voracious about the program, and I was going to an average of six meetings a week for at least a year and three months. I had a, a food sponsor that I committed my food to every day, and then, you know, not too much longer, I got, I got a, a sponsor that, that was taking me through the steps, and I took lots of direction. Again, my own best thinking is what got me where I'm at. So I started taking, I started shutting my mouth and just doing whatever my sponsor told me to do. And in the beginning, that's what I had to do. And I'm so glad that I, that I was willing, that I was that beaten down that I was willing to do what somebody else tells me to do because I'm very stubborn and I'm very arrogant and I don't like, I want to do something because I want to do it. The second you tell me to do it, I'm like, I want to flip you the finger and do the opposite thing, which I've heard many, many people share that they relate to, so I know I'm not alone there. So, yeah, she told me to start um, sharing in meetings. Now I can only imagine what came out of my mouth, and probably the long-timers were, like, rolling their eyes like, God, this girl's sick. But um, I'm so grateful that we have these rooms and that we have, you know, the traditions that, that let newcomers just lay it all out on the table and that we're all welcome and that we're all united by this desire to to stop eating compulsively. I did have outside help. I, I had a lot of outside help. And, um, again, that's just what it took for me, especially in the beginning. I stopped throwing up. There were many times that I had to sit with some really big, uncomfortable meals and not throw up. And that was excruciating. That was really excruciating. I've had some really uncomfortable meals in abstinence. And also, you know, just, just have to sit with it. Just have to sit with the... Uh, 
the messiness of it all. And I like perfection. I'm a black and white thinker. Um, I don't like mess. You know, I like structure. Sometimes that is that's just been my path. And then what, the other thing that I heard you guys say, and I didn't make it part of my abstinence, but I did start doing it because everybody that I was listening to had such success with it, is for the first three months, I didn't know if I had a sugar allergy. I didn't know if I had the, these food allergies that, that we that we read about. And so I just was like, all right, no sugar, no white flour, no alcohol. That worked for me in the beginning. And then with the help and support of my sponsor, I would start to reintroduce things and, and, and find out that today I don't believe that I, um, at least right now, more will be revealed, but I don't believe that I have the allergy of the body when it comes to, to certain foods. I don't have any foods on my absence. That being said, I don't feel so good after I eat certain foods. So they're not a, a staple. I, I don't have them very often, and when I do, I'm very honest about it with my sponsor. I try to keep it clean. Either I tell my sponsor or, or another fellow, and I try to just keep it clean. Because, again, it's for me, I just want freedom. I just want freedom from the, from the mental obsession. So I did all that work, but really, you know, I've heard of other people who do a lot of work, and, and it just comes down to, like, God's grace. I know doing the legwork is, is crucial. Like, I heard you guys tell me that um, God will do for you what you cannot do for yourself, but not what you can. So I had to do everything that I could do for myself to get better, and then it's God's grace stepping in. And exercise was very helpful to me um, in the beginning. I didn't come in the program at my top weight, but I did have some weight to lose. Once the binging started to subside, you know, things started to, to even out. And, um, and then... Then life really came in because, you know, once you put down the food, it's like, oh, this is why I've been eating all these years. And without the steps, I would just be right back in the food. It's, otherwise, it's a diet, and this is not a diet club. You know, this is a spiritual program of action. So if I just do the diet, which I know I can do, without the spirituality, it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. So that, for me, is crucial. Like, you know, it has to be in conjunction with a power greater than myself. And like I said, as long as it's not me, it doesn't matter what it is. And whatever it is, it's working. And I've seen it work for so many other people. So um, don't leave before the miracle happens, you know. If you're trying to figure out what your abstinence is or if you're struggling with it, just, just hang in there and don't leave before the miracle happens. All right, so what it's like now... So, yeah, I worked through all 12 steps. I did change sponsors in this program, and I worked through all 12 steps, and I've had a spiritual awakening. And it didn't look, sound, feel, anything like I thought it would. It really didn't. But I, I know that I've had one because, you know, I've had that, where it talks about a spiritual experience, it's like I've had that psychic change. And a lot of times today, it's like when things come up, I, I'm less... I'm less willing to spend time suffering and being uncomfortable. And I'm more likely to take whatever action I need to take to, to get back into alignment with my higher power. And I usually don't want to. I mean, this is a program for people who want it, not for people who need it. I, I tell my sponsees a lot, you know, you don't got to want it. And that's so true for me, too. It's like I have just enough willingness sometimes, just enough to to take an action that I don't want to take because I, it's, it's better to me, it's more appealing to me than the pain of continuing to do what I'm doing. 
And that's really all you need, just like that teeny tiny much of willingness to start, to make a start, you know, and it's baby steps. Everything in this program for me has been baby steps. You know, getting abstinent and working through the steps. It all took longer than I wanted it to, (laughs) but that's probably a good thing um, because I need to learn patience. One thing that I know just that resonates deeply with me, and it says it in one of the stories, you know, in the big book, I absolutely believe in my core that nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Everything that happens, you know, whatever life throws my way is for me to, for for spiritual growth. It's an opportunity. Whether or not I'm willing to look at it that way is a different story. But deep down, I do believe that everything is an opportunity for spiritual growth if I'm willing to to use it that way, you know, if I'm willing to learn and, and stretch and, and try something new and flex those spiritual muscles. So the other things that I do, you know, I use different tools than I used in the beginning. This program led me to another program, and I'm working the steps in there. And I still, I still make it a point to hit at least two OA meetings a week if not more, and then I call my sponsor every single day. I mean, there are a few exceptions, but really in the last four years, it's I've pretty much called every single day. And um, that works for me because i got to eat every day. You know, I've got to face my demons every day, so it's just it's just helpful to me to connect. I don't always speak to her, but um, I know she's there, and I know she's listening, and that's amazing to me. And then I have sponsees that call me, and, you know, for the most part, I talk to them every day amazing um, because I, I find that I'm telling them what I need to hear most of the time. Service is, is such a selfish thing. Also in regards to service, one thing that I definitely value is service commitment. And um, if you're new, that was the best way for me to, to really dive into program and to meet people. And I had a lot of service commitments and I continue to, that continues to be a part of my program as well. Because I heard you guys say, too, that I can't keep what I have unless I give it away. So, you know, talking to newcomers, talking to my sponsees, just engaging with you guys is, is helpful to me on a, on a daily basis, for sure. And I have a God squad that is amazing, and I make lots of outreach calls to them. And, you know, they don't always tell me what I want to hear, and what a gift. What a gift. And the fact that I'm able to take it in is kind of astonishing to me. So I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful to them. Because when I say in my head, it's like I've heard you guys compare it to a dangerous neighborhood. You don't want to go in there. You don't want to go in a dark alley alone without a flashlight, you know. Yeah, outreach calls are still very crucial, very crucial for me so that I I get out of that crazy train of thought. Because, again, this disease is centered in our minds. So what have I learned? Life is messy, and why would recovery be any different? That's just what's true for me, you know. I'm so grateful that we get to choose our abstinence in this program and um, that we all get to do it a little bit differently. That's been a real gift. Because, again, I like rules. I just want to follow the formula. I want the quick fix. I don't get it. But I, I do get a solution, but I don't get a quick fix. But that's okay. And for me, the fastest way when I'm in that, when my mind starts spinning, the fastest way out is gratitude and service. Gratitude is like an instant shift. It's like it keeps me in the present moment. It keeps me out of future fears and service. Like I'm so self-centered. I'm so selfish. And being of service is 
you know, one thing that my sponsors always told me is the way to build self-esteem is to do esteemable acts. And so when, and, and I'm not talking about, you know, big dramatic. Again, with me, it's all about the baby steps. I'm not talking about big dramatic forms of service here. I'm talking about I'm in the elevator and I, I smile at someone or I say, have a nice day. You know, or I let someone in front of me on the freeway, which that is a big deal. But, um, you know, it can be that small, that simple. Um, those little tiny things just just shift my, my perception. Other things that I've learned in here, feelings are not facts, and the loudest voice is not the truest voice. I'll give you an example. This week, my coworker brought in some homemade churros. And they were, like, smelling really good. And, again, sugar's not part of my abstinence, but, it, um, you know, it's not something that I needed to pick up at the time, for sure. And in the morning, it wasn't really calling to me. And then all of a sudden, you guys know, it starts talking to you. It starts like, no, you should have some. Oh, it'll be great. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all that stuff. So it starts talking to me, and I know it's really talking to me, and I know I'm making that stupid churro my higher power when my boss is talking to me, and I'm, like, totally checked out. Like, I'm listening to the words coming out of his mouth. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing the words coming out of his mouth, but all I'm hearing is, you know, this, this exchange that I have with this food. So then I was like, all right. So I called the fellow, and I was like, I'm not having this thing, blah, 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 you know, like, this thing has become my higher power, and I'm not having it today, I don't care, if I want to have a dessert some other time, fine, I'll commit to it, it'll be clean, it'll be fine, but when I, when I also did that, I was, what I realized I was doing, because for me, the food is an indicator, you know, it's just an indicator that I'm out of alignment, and so, like, I get to kind of do the halt, you know, hit the pause button, that is one thing that, you know, I, I was just telling you guys before, like, I had the thought it was in my mouth. There was no, there was no pause. I didn't know such a thing was was possible. And here, it's like I've learned to hit the pause button and and ask myself, like, halt. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Well, in this particular instance, I was tired because I hadn't been sleeping well, and I was angry because I had to do this thing for work that I think is stupid, and I didn't want to do it, and I was procrastinating. The second that I acknowledged, like, okay, that's what's really going on. I sat down, I did it, it was easy, it didn't even take me that much time. Guess what? The volume on the churro turned down to mute. That's, like, that's how my higher power works in my life today. That's how this program works in my life today. What else do I want to say? I definitely want to talk about what I struggle with because I am not perfect by any shape or form. And um, I wish I could tell you, oh, God, I wish I could tell you that I've been completely relieved of the obsession and compulsion. But, again, I just gave you an example where I was not. But it used to be every waking moment I was consumed with thoughts about my body and my food and how I was going to get rid of it. Other people, what, what did you eat? Well, what are you eating? Well, how much did you eat? And, uh, uh, well, they're eating so quickly. Uh, like, I was completely consumed with thoughts of where's my next meal coming from and that sort of thing. That is not the case today. Again, I, I don't have, like, the, uh, I haven't had the obsession lifted perfectly, but it is nothing like it was. I mean, you know, the stuff comes up maybe, I don't know, 25% of the time. I can live with that. One day at a time, I can live with that, because guess what? I have tools today. I didn't have tools before. And I have a design for living that works. And, you know, I don't just use, you know, when it says practice these principles in all our affairs, like, Going through the steps and, 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 you know, and working it around food, that was just the beginning. 
for me. My life has just, you know, started. Now it's like I'm applying it to all these other areas of my life. It's really uncomfortable sometimes. Like, this program has ruined my gossiping. It's ruined my sarcasm. Um, what else? Uh, I still interrupt people. I, you know, I, I talk too much when I should be listening more. You know, I'm terribly judgmental. I'm still very self-centered. But I'm not those, I'm not just those things, you know. I mean, in the literature it, it says, like, we are content with patient improvement. You know, I'm trying to have a more balanced perspective of myself. It's like, yeah, I have these things that I want to work on. And then guess what? I I do things, I do really great things today, you know. And I'm a woman of dignity today. And I weather challenging situations with grace today and without turning to food today. I, I had a really hard time with work and was for a while I didn't know if I was getting laid off, where I was going. I kept moving back and forth, blah, blah, blah. And it was it was so uncomfortable. And this was for a few months. And things have settled down now. And I actually got called into the president of the company's office. And he said, I just want to commend you for how well you've handled this. And I'm so impressed by you. And, hey, how about a raise? Like, what? That's my higher power. Because, I, you know, I'm not capable of doing that stuff on my own, left to my own devices. I'm in, you know, victim mode all the time. So... Yes, um, I am eternally grateful. I only get a daily reprieve. So even though I might use different tools today, I still have to work my program the same way that I did when I first came in here. I don't always want to, but I'm always glad when I wake up the next morning. You know, when you wake up that first morning and and you know, like, oh, I didn't do that thing that I was going to do that would have just sent me spinning. That's such a gift. That's such a gift. And I have so many mornings like that. It's amazing. So now I need to wrap up. What can I say? In conclusion, I I just, you know, I'm a work in progress. That's really what I can say. I'm a work in progress. I like myself more today, a lot more. And I have a higher power, and I have you guys. And um, I, I'm not alone anymore. So thanks for letting me be a part of